Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 187 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Zach Malloy from the Nixons, I want to remind you about everything you can find online at mistresscarrie.com. Not only can you find every episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast and every situation report, but every episode of my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. You can also stay up to date with all of the rock shows coming through New England in the event calendar. You can click the message the studio button to send me a message right here in MCHQ. Read my blog, check out my photo galleries, and do some shopping in the online Mistress Carrie store. Find all that and more at mistresscarry.com. This week, my guest is Zach Malloy, who I have known for decades. Zach is the founding member of the rock band The Nixons and a member of Four Horsemen Music. His songwriting credits include songs for Carrie Underwood, Tim McGraw, Blake Shelton, Jake Owen, Three Doors Down, Skillet, Bowling for Soup, Bare Naked Ladies, Dorothy, Saliva, Black Veil Brides, Sponge, Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown, Lilith Czar, Daughtry, and Theory of a Dead Man. And number one hits including Carrie Underwood's Temporary Home, Skillet's American Noise, and Shinedown's Atlas Falls. 
I caught up with Zach just before the end of the year to talk about songwriting and inspiration. The differences between writing and producing his own music versus working with other artists, touring, family life, and the future plans for the Nixons. It was so great to reconnect with Zach, who is one of many guests on the show who are making rock and roll in Music City, Nashville. So allow me to introduce you to Zach Malloy from the Nixons. Oh my God, Zach Malloy. Oh my God, Zach Malloy. Oh my God, Mr. Scary. I am so excited to see you. Thank you so much for saying yes to doing this interview. Well, like like I was telling you uh, pre pre interview, you look great. I look Thanks. really pale and like kind of like like zombie, almost zombie like here in Nashville, Tennessee. We work in you. rock and roll. We're supposed to be like in a basement, pale. Like we're not supposed to be happy and tanned. It's not what rock and roll is. That's right. That's right. Well, here we are. Good to see you. You too. I want to add you to the list of countless uh, band members that I know that are now. Uh, residents of Nashville. It seems like I need to move there because literally everyone else lives there. Yeah, it's funny, man. I was in a grocery store like eight years ago and I'm walking down the the, the aisle with members of uh, uh, Cinderella, I think. Uh, and then and then like, oh, wait, is that Kip Winger? I think it is. And now the, uh, my buddies in Hailstorm live here. So yeah, it's, 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 it's the Mecca. Yeah, it's crazy. Every time I talk to a band, they're like, we're either on our way to Nashville to write and record, we just left Nashville, or we just said, screw it, and we're moving to Nashville. Yeah, it, it happens. In fact, um, uh, and I bet we'll get to this, but you know, my drummer in my band, the Nixons, John, is the drummer for Seether, and they're either, look at my phone, they're either going to be here today or tomorrow to rec start recording their album in Nashville, Seether, so yeah. Well, I had a feeling they were going to start working on new music because they just announced that tailgate tour was stained and we're going to right. have them up here a bunch. So I was like, oh, it seems like it's time. Well, I, I probably maybe, you know, broke news just then. Hopefully John won't be mad at me. Dude, we weren't <laughs> announcing the album yet, but no, but I do know this, that whether they're, whatever their release schedule is, my, my brother, John Humphrey, um, and the Nixons is, is going to be in town making, making some music with Seether, whatever, whatever, whatever they do to release it. I don't know, but, um, I'm excited cause I'll, I, I, I'm going to go down to the studio and be a fly on the wall to watch some Seether happening. When I found out that he was in the Nixons, like when I met the guys in Seether, I nerded out <laughs> and I was like, and he was like, I remember you from those old Nixon days at AAF in Boston, like, it's so weird how people kind of cross paths in your life and then go away for a while and then come back. I know, I know. It's awesome. And, and, and again, this is kind of my whole life is this, right? Because like, I went to, you know, see Seether when they played in, when I was still living in Tulsa and the opening band was this band called Shinedown. And John was like, you gotta go listen to this singer. You're gonna love him. Um, here we are 15 years later and I've had, you know, a couple songs out with, with Shinedown recently. And um, yeah, it, you're right, man. It's, it's so weird the the lines just, they're all just crossed. I'm getting ready to talk to Brent Smith soon because our Simple Man anniversary is coming up January 20th. 
the first time he played Simple Man was on my show, Acoustic, and that's what started that whole thing. And the 20th anniversary is coming up on January 20th. It doesn't seem possible. Oh, is that right? Is yeah. that okay? So, so now I'm interviewing you now. So, the, obviously, that song's a massive song for that band. The first um, time they did it was on my show. Wow, yeah. cool! I didn't know that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna text Zach and Brent when when we get off this thing and tell them that I just talked to you. It was be it was even before Zach was in the band, which is just crazy oh, because he's been in the band for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Okay, yeah. wow. But I have the original recording that I had to like digitize because it was on cassette yep and get ready to talk to brent about this anniversary which just blows my mind that it's been that long that's awesome i have to tell you that i was in uh, my mom uh, i was home in oklahoma um it, going through like a bunch of boxes you know as we do and and uh, it was actually really fun because i found like you know us on the cover of pole star back in 96 and and but i found a cassette that was live at waaf and um a cassette so i sent it to my uh, i got a buddy scott whitehead um down in dallas and he's he's my guy that like helps me with like what do i do if i have a adat that i can't i don't know how to transfer you know so he's sifting through all that old sound but we did a little live thing at waaf um Probably with you. I don't know. I mean, back in 95, 96. Well, I like was that. at the station, but I wasn't on the air then. So it was probably with John Osterland. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. The Ozone. That was a big station for us, man. We, right when the Nixon started, it was obviously Oklahoma stations like the Cat, who are, you know, they're like a one of the sort of icons, at least to me, growing up in Oklahoma. Then in Dallas, Q102, and then Chicago. But when AAF added our songs... That's that was like, ooh, okay. Now we, we got something kick we got something cooking here. So that's cool. It's really hard to explain to people that are kind of growing up immersed in this new media how it used to be before we were all connected on the internet with smartphones and that the difference that one radio station could make and that it started knocking over dominoes and then all of a sudden you know, Brad, Brad Arnold from Three Doors Down said that when we started playing Kryptonite, it just changed his whole life. And, yeah. you know, it's it's sad in a way to see the way that radio is going. But I think for somebody like you that works with so many bands, the fact that there's so many other outlets for artists now to get their music out there, podcasting, including streaming, all of these other things as an artist and a producer, that's gotta be exciting. Yeah, I mean, people, uh, listen, I'm <laughs> I'm a weird case study here because I was in a rock band in the 90s that had to be in a trailer for four years, <laughs> or sorry, not a trailer, a van and a trailer for four years before anyone even noticed. Then a couple stations started to play our song, Sister. Then we got, you know, the label bidding war thing. So I, I mean, I've lived through all that. And then I've lived through, you know, my sister-in-law saying, hey, have you seen this show called American Idol? And I'm like, ah, screw that show. That's not, that's not the right way to then fast forward to me writing with David Cook and having a single. And then I had a number one song with Carrie Underwood, a country song with Carrie Underwood. So then I embraced American. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, it, now it's like people want to get me to bitch about TikTok or and I'm like, no, listen, <laughs> I've seen it all. Do it however you want to do it. I'm not I'm never going to be the person that like 
you know, the old man, you know, get off my lawn, you know, uh, TikTok. It's what, whatever, whatever podcast. Yes. Do whatever you got to do, man. Do whatever you got to do. I'm still a purist with radio and I think live and local radio still has a really important place, but these new digital technologies, they're not going away. Yeah. So you just got to find a way to operate within them because for artists, any opportunity, I mean, it's happened so many times with bands that have said, oh, we we tried to get on the radio, but we didn't fit in some kind of label about what they thought we should sound like. And so then you had no outlet, at least now, if you're a band that crosses genres, if you're an artist that really doesn't have a home, meaning a, a, a really kind of strict line of format and definition, you can still find fans. Yeah, that that is true. And I will I will I will dovetail off what you just said about being a purist. I I will tell you that because of what I do for a living now, which is I'm a songwriter in Nashville. I, I, I should have probably said that, that just for whoever's listening to this, I'm oh, Zach. D- Mal- don't Man, worry. I'm, they know all about who you are before. No, 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 you started no. so, talking. So, but what I was going to what I was going to say is this, is that I'm not only a purist about radio, like that's that's how I pay the bills, you know, like I, I have to have songs on the radio and I've been lucky enough to have, you know, a song called Dead Don't Die that I co-wrote with Shine Down, uh, this song called Blood in the Water with Aaron Jones. Those were hits on the radio. And just again, I won't get into the I won't get into the 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 the, the intricacies of it all, but that's the way you make money. I mean, I, I have cuts on albums. I had a song on you know, whatever, uh, Tim McGraw album, it didn't really earn me money. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to get into the, the, the nuts and bolts of the music business, but radio singles are still very important to me, you know? So, um, so I'm with you and I think we're on the exact same page that I think it's like, man, we got to make sure radio stays, you know, has a place. Um, and then yes, cool that there's all these other outlets. When we would play a band a lot, some people would say, oh, are they paying you to play that song? And be like, actually, no, we pay royalties to play the music that we play. So we're paying to play those songs that you think they're paying us for. And and all of that licensing money is how the bands get paid. It's how they pay for the studios, the producers, all of that kind of stuff. And those radio hits still matter. I mean, you're talking about Shinedown. They have more rock radio number one hit songs than any other band in rock, which for somebody that like me that was there in the infancy of that band, like it makes me tear up because I feel like a proud mom that I'm so proud of those guys. When I see Shinedown just broke their own record for the most number one songs again, it's amazing. Well, let me just tell you that I was kind of blown away when they sent me the the links for. Um, so I mentioned Dead Don't Die. I also had another song with them called Atlas Falls, and Atlas Falls was the song that actually broke. I think I'm, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, but I think they broke Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers record, which that is fucking crazy if you think about it. Sorry, can yeah. I cuss? I, I yeah, you can swear. Oh yeah, yeah. That's I'm one sorry, of the, that's but, but one no. of the great things about this new technology. Exactly. Was, yeah, there you go. I, w- I was harnessed, not being able to say <laughs> fuck for twenty five years. 
Well, it, anyways, when I read, like, saw that article, like, I think it was a billboard. Someone sent me a link and it was like Atlas Falls breaks, Shinedown breaks the, yeah, I think it was their 20 something uh, number one song. God, man, that's so crazy that it broke Tom Petty's uh, record. Um, anyway, yeah. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's, radio is still, I don't know. I, almost said radio is still king. I guess we can just, we, I guess we can say that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's super important, especially when you are a new up and coming artist. And, you know, you named an artist like Aaron Jones, who, who I started talking to on the show really early on when, when the label was trying to break him and he has turned into this unbelievable artist that is meshing genres like we were talking about and there are so many other artists out there it's like they have to get to a certain point and then radio kicks in and they never look back yeah i mean you know this is again back in my day you did it a certain way and i have to say that i think aaron has done it um really the right way, to, you know, here, here we are in 2023, um, that he's, he went out and played and like open for bands. And that, that was our, that was our story. I, I think I told someone in an interview in like 1997, um, 96 or 97, when we did our first headline tour, um, that, that like, I feel like we've never really done our own show we've we opened for kiss we opened for radiohead we opened for soul asylum we you know um yeah so anyways yes to everything you're you, you know everything you're talking about of like it's it's so interesting right to look at the the way people well the way people sort of make it you know um yeah it's it's super interesting to me well let's go back to kind of the beginning of your musical career because it's such a crazy story that you ended up doing what you're doing where you're doing it um so does musical ability run in your family um okay so yeah we'll 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 do that we'll we'll start at the beginning um yeah my papa um papa white uh, buddy white was a country singer and um played actually here i I'm in Nashville. Uh, he played at the Grand Ole Opry in like the fifties. Uh, like one afternoon, um, by the way, I'll shout out his band name, Buddy White and the Western Ears. Is that the coolest band name ever? Nice. Pretty good. So, but that was Buddy. When I knew, when I knew my papa, he was, he was just working on cars in his uh, body shop in, in, uh, we woke up Oklahoma. I grew up in a little town called Ada, Oklahoma. And so then, back to the influences or whatever country country music was was my grandpa but i very early discovered well fool in the rain by led zeppelin that that song i was like oh, okay this song i get it i know what this is and then van halen and the who and and that was sort of what um uh, influenced me as a you know kid growing up in small town oklahoma country music was all around me but it was rock and roll and then uh, going to college at the University of Oklahoma, discovering alt rock, you know, the Colts, the, the Cure, REM, the Replacements, all those bands. Um, and then, you know, the Nixon sort of formed and uh, we were this sort of loud rock band. Um, right at the exact time, Pearl Jam and Nirvana, the, oh, the whole grunge thing. We, we got lumped in with that. We were like, oh, 
the Nixons. They're like, a, you know, like a kind of a knockoff of Pearl Jam. And I, hey, I'll take that all day long. Um, <laughs> you know, that people would piss say, some people would, off, but not you. No, 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 no. Nope, 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 nope. Don't compare me to a shitty band. How about that? Um, so, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was it. So music was a little bit in my family. My, my, you know, my dad was a drummer, my, my, um, but didn't do music. You know, no, no one in my family did music as a, as a, as a living. Uh, but, but now here I am. There's a distinct difference between having musical ability, right? Being able to perform, um, to play other people's songs. And as you're very well aware, not only as an artist, but as a songwriter with other artists and a producer, songwriting is a completely different animal. So when did you realize you could do that? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I kind of know, you know, so I just talked about, you know, being in college, playing frat parties, sorority parties, and just doing covers, right? Just being a cover band. And, um, And then writing my first song, which was awful the first line of my first song i ever wrote was um i put on headphones i was listening to music and i was trying to get inspired to to try to write a song and when i put the headphones on you this will this will be for the kids no for the old (laughs) old people that were kids but sometimes when you would put headphones on or you would plug in a guitar amp you could hear the radio do you know what i'm talking about like you could sometimes hear the static you know like it would pick up a frequency and i put on headphones i'm holding a guitar i'm thinking okay i'm gonna write a song and I could hear opera music. So the first line, I, yeah, I know, right? Like who, what radio station in Oklahoma is playing opera, but someone was. And so the first line of the first song I wrote was, it was like a blues kind of riff. I hear the opera in my headphones. I see the riding on the wall. Uh, awful, awful song, awful lyrics, <laughs> awful. But opera in my headphones is the name of my publishing company now, because it's the first song I ever no wrote. No so, way, yeah. that's why you named it that? That's it. That's it. So that um, is really cool. So when I first knew I could write a song, I, I don't really know. It was around the time of the Nixons when we were just a garage, you know, a, a, literally a garage band. We practiced in one of my buddy's garages. You know, we just, you know, would put up space heaters and, and be jamming. And, you know, Jesse would play a riff. Ricky would play something on bass. We would kind of just uh, just kick around songs. Um so it was then, it was then that I thought, okay, maybe I can do this. Now I will say, fast forward to ending my career as an artist, not ending it, cause we're still doing it. We're the Nixons went out on tour last year for God's sake. So we're still doing it, but we, we, I, we definitely took a break. But when I became, a, when I felt like, okay, songwriting, this could be a job. Um, it was the end of the Nixons I wrote with Marty Fredrickson, um, who's a dear friend now. We actually are business partners in a publishing company here in Nashville called The Full Horseman. Uh, Marty, who wrote Jaded and a bunch of, a bunch of hits. Um, um, when I wrote with him, when MCA Records said, Zach, third album, we don't hear a single, right? It's that whole, you know, wasn't that a Tom Petty lyric? Yep. The A&R guy said, we don't hear a single. Um, they flew me to LA. I wrote with Marty Fredrickson, kicking and screaming the whole way. And then when I got in the room with Marty, I was like, oh, okay. This is a this is a job. This is a gig. People actually write songs. Um, and, then, and then ever since then, 1999, good Lord, I'm old. Um, 
you mentioned Brad. I mean, I had a song on, you know, a song called Heaven uh, on on one of their albums, and you know, it it became a thing, right? I mean, I think Carrie, when you and I started, you know, people, you know, like the bands we just we talked about. No one thought about co-writing. What's that mean? You know, but it's a thing now, and I think it's healthy. I really do believe that that writing songs with other human beings is really the 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 my favorite thing to do and the healthiest thing for me to do you learn every day you 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 know you um yeah you just keep getting better at it hopefully i'm knocking on wood well uh, there are certain people like growing up you knew about guys like a mutt lang or a bob rock because all of the rock bands worked with them and so yeah. you kind of knew that that it was a job but None of us as music fans really understood like what those guys were bringing to the table because right. to a music fan, our favorite band writes their songs and they go out and they record and they tour on those songs. But when I interview bands, I talk a lot about the writing process because number one, I can't write songs. My musical career ended with the clarinet and the marching band in high school and I take everything so personally that I can't imagine the process. And I'm curious to hear what it's like on your end. I can't imagine the process of taking my emotions and writing them down in a notebook or recording it on my phone or whatever, and then bringing it to my band and having them have the ability to say, yeah, that's good. Or no, we're not feeling that. That kind of sucks. And then to either have something like what happened to you, the label says, we don't hear a single. We're going to send you to go write with a stranger. And then this person you don't know starts offering up an opinion on your feelings and emotions that you're trying to put in a song. That would make me angry, but I'm not a songwriter and an artist. So what is it like for you as an artist working with an outside voice and then being the outside voice for a different artist. Yeah, I mean, it's a good it, again, it's a good question and it's a it's a it's an it's interesting conversation and I have this conversation with fellow songwriters and people in bands. I get brought in, I'll say, um I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I get brought into certain situations that maybe other people don't get brought into because I wasn't a band. Right. So, so what I, so what I will tell you is this, is that Marty, my first co-write other than my bandmates um, was great. He was just like, what do you want to say? Right. So I try to now when I go in, I remember working with this band in San Francisco called Dredge. Remember that band? Dredge. Um, I remember flying into San Francisco, one of my first co-writes. So I'll back up. So I, I, was finish ending my career as, a, as an artist, um, wondering what I was going to do. And Jarrett Reddick from Bowling for Soup called and said, I'm having a writer's block. Can we write some songs? I wrote a couple songs with Bowling for Soup. That got me a publishing deal with Sony. Sony then <clears throat> uh, helped me facilitate my first big rock cut with the band Daughtry, Chris Daughtry, who I have a cut on his album that's coming. It's been on the um, show many, many times, sings I'm your sure, praises. I'm sure Chris, Chris is, a, is a great dude. Uh, got a cut on his first album, um, a song called Used To, and that song got me a publishing deal 
and that publisher, Sony, started to fly me out. They would say things like, um, we need you to go be the fifth member of Dredge, Three Doors Down, um, Blackstone, uh, Blackstone Chair, you know. So I started to do that. So to answer your question, I promise I'm getting there. <laughs> because I went through that experience with Marty and he was very cool with me to be like, not trying to force something down my throat, which I've had that happen too. I've had, I've had writers and producers try to, you know, I don't know, write a song for me as an artist. And I just promised myself I would never do that. So what I, what I do is just try to go in and just be a member of the band. And even when I wrote with Carrie Underwood, um, we, you know, flew me into Nashville. I, I meet with Carrie. We wrote for, I think, two days before she even said this. She's like, I have this idea that I think is really special. It's about how, you know, this life is just a temporary existence and something else is going to happen. Uh, that song became, that idea became Temporary Home, which was the number one country song. Um, even with her, I, tr I, I was real caref careful to not be like, <clears throat> speak for her. Do you know what I mean? Like let, let make sure, let's make sure the artist speaks for themselves. Um, yeah. Cause I, I was an artist. The process of it to me is so fascinating because art is so personal, not only for those of us that just are experiencing the art when it's finished, but the creator of it. And so the concept of having somebody say, I don't like that, or let's try this instead, or this isn't working. I, I think I would be too fragile in that creative environment to be able to take any kind of criticism when it came to something that was tied to my emotions and feelings. I think, I think that's where you're going to get sensitive, Carrie, which she doesn't come out a lot. <laughs> well, it, you, you, you bring up a good point because... I tell people that um, my job is as much songwriter as it is psychiatrist, right? Like I, I, I gotta be, you have to be careful with, with when you're writing with, it, even if just another co-writer. And that, that is a big part of my job. I mean, I'm going today <clears throat> at one o'clock, I'm gonna go down to Music Row and walk in with two other guys, just like me, not, not artists trying to make it and we're going to try to write a song for fill in the blank kenny chesney tim mcgraw blake shelton whatever it is um today is a country co-write it's two dudes that are very very country way more country than me um so uh <clears throat> but when i'm with an artist it is definitely yeah you have to be careful you can't start speaking for them you know as an as a as an artist as a songwriter as someone that wants to have their voice be heard i had this conversation with jelly roll about the way that the songwriting community kind of functions in nashville that you kind of set up a lunch date with a stranger and you sit down and in four hours because you made an appointment for that block of time you try to hash out a song that like you're saying you are not going to turn this into a nixon song this is a song that then you're hoping is going to get presented to a known artist or maybe an up and coming artist. 
and then they will record it and it'll be known as their song, but you're the one that actually wrote it. Yeah. And also, um, you know, I, you mentioned Jelly Roll. I, I wrote just a few weeks ago with with the, the people that co-wrote his first big hit, um, Son of Center, and um, and we were talking about Jelly and how inspiring it is that he's someone that has gone through different phases of his his own musical journey. And it's just now he won. This is this is hilarious. And this has already been brought up and, you know, it, as a, almost a joke that he was best new artist yeah. at the, at, you know, and he's been at it for so long. I personally have to say, I love that. I just love that. Um, when I was coming up, I remember someone saying at MCA records saying, you know, coaching me about interviews and maybe I was 24, five at the, around the time of our second album and them saying maybe you should say you're 23 and i kind of love it that it doesn't fucking matter anymore it, you know it, it it really doesn't because of everything you were talking about of like they're different there's so many different platforms you know whether it's oh this person just blew up on TikTok or this person just had a viral moment on whatever um so it is cool. Uh, I'm sorry, I digressed about Jelly Roll, but I, I'm, 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 I don't know him, but um, super cool that he's having the moment that he's having. But back to what he was telling you about, yeah, it, it can be a little bit factory-like here in Nashville if you let it. But again, I always will stop myself in a, a songwriting session and think, wait, are we sounding like songwriters now? Right. That's what you don't want to do. You want to be like, wait, what would I do if I was just writing this song for the Nixons? And I should say that plenty of times if I have an idea, um, I mean, I have on my phone, I have like, I think, you know, 1,343, you know, song uh, sort of like voice memos of just little blah, blah, blahs. Plenty of times I'll be like, well, this isn't this is for the Nixons. You know, I, I, I do. I am glad to have that outlet to be like. I have this song on the last Nixon's EP called Dead Electric, which is just cool, two cool words to me put together, but it's not going to be a single for, you know, Tim McGraw, you know, <laughs> what, what, what does dead electric mean? But it's a cool song that the Nixon's embraced. And um, so, yeah, so I feel lucky about that, um, that I, I get to go to my job today and write a song and pitch it, have my publishing company pitch it to said artists. But then if I want to, after a couple of drinks late tonight, I can pick up one of those guitars and just write something that's nonsensical and cool and grungy. I never understood Nashville because growing up outside of Boston, I just always thought belt buckles, cowboy boots, there's probably a cow walking down Main Street until I went to Nashville a few years ago and just realized that like New Orleans, it really is a city that is built on the foundation of music and creativity and so once I actually went to Nashville and walked around I was like oh my god I love this place it's just yeah it's got that vibe well a buddy of mine told me so um so I grew up in Oklahoma and and about 15 years ago decided as I was entering into this new career as a songwriter producer I need to move out of Tulsa Oklahoma I dearly love Tulsa I love Oklahoma it will always be home but I knew I had to move, right? And I went, we went to LA, my wife and I, and, and you know, very quickly realized we did not wanna spend a million dollars for a small house overlooking the 405. 
Um, but I had a friend of mine tell me something interesting. <clears throat> and to your point about Nashville, he said, uh, this is kind of a bit of a mentor of mine that, that has been in the music business forever. He said, man, you should think about Nashville. Here's the way I think of music, the music business. New York is the music business with suits, with bi the business of it all. LA is the music business and it's producers, it's production, it's the production value. And Nashville is the music business and it's based on the song. It's based on songwriting, songwriters. Now that's a huge glossing over because there are great oh, songwriters it, in LA and New York. Don't get me wrong. Sense, though. But it's the song. This town runs on songs and songwriting. And so um, to your point, yeah, it's pretty touristy downtown, but man, there are some amazing songwriters in this town. And on any given minute, there's something magical happening just on that block and that block and that block. And I could walk out my front door in my little neighborhood here in Nashville. And well, in fact, I should just say the guy across the street from me is Cage the Elephant's tour manager. So it's just that <laughs> this town is all about that. You know, yeah. my kid, my son went to a school here in town and, um, and, uh, uh, Jude, my, 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 who's now studying music at NYU. He, um, he, you know, he, he, of course he says, his name is Jude, by the way. Yeah. Jude, Jude is, 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 uh, is my youngest. Ben is my oldest who, by the way, went to Tufts in Boston. I don't want to leave, leave the Boston of it all out. He, I, I've spent a lot of time in Boston these last few years. He's graduated from Tufts in Boston now, but so Jude, uh, just this is back to the Nashville of it all. We go watch Jude at songwriter night at his high school. Of course, his high school in Nashville has songwriter night. And sitting next to him is uh, Karina Gill, Vince Gill, Amy Grant, um, Audrey McGraw, Tim McGraw, and uh, Lily Black, Clint Black. So I told Jude, I'm sorry, I gave you, I, I didn't give you a good enough last name, Malloy. Jude <laughs> Malloy, that doesn't, that doesn't compete with, uh, you know, the, the, the McGraws and the Gills, but, um, but no, that, that is, that's the funny thing about Nashville, that all that magic I talked about happening is happening, but then also it is really just, it, it, the music, the music just weaves through this whole town and it's really beautiful. I think. You talk about Jelly Roll and he accepts his <clears throat> best new artist award at the CMAs and laughed that he's 37 and accepting that award. And you talk about how now it doesn't matter. Something else has changed since you and I met in the mid nineties when it comes to music and, and you've worked with so many artists that this affected that I really want to hear it from your perspective. There, when I got on the radio in the late nineties and actually had my own show, I was the only woman. Mm. And when a radio station, they always wanted a woman, but once they had one, they only needed the one. <laughs> and in rock, if we were playing a rock band on the radio that had a female lead singer, there was only room for the one. The songs even got coded with like an F, so it, meaning female, so that two female-fronted wow. bands didn't play next to each other because they thought that might affect the perception that the station didn't have balls enough. You have been in a position now where you've gone from the Nixons breaking in that era to now producing artists like Lizzie Hale 
and Lilith Czar, where you are on the front lines of seeing what women are doing in rock today. It couldn't be any more different. Oh, no, no. Listen, um, Carrie, what you're talking about is really, really, um, really interesting to me. Intriguing. I, 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 okay, I'll, I'll start by saying this. <laughs> um, when I first moved to Nashville, I worked with an artist. I won't say their name, but but she, <clears throat> country artist, just got a record deal, but no guarantees that her album was going to come out. And it didn't come out. And she told me a couple stories, one of which was some people in country radio had said, maybe if you bleach your hair blonde, you would have a better chance. I, I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> And that's not that's not calling out country radio because there are a bunch of great people at country radio and they've been it's very good. It's just to me. different now. But now, listen to me, man. I produced Plush, this song called Left Behind with those four powerhouse girls. Look, where does um, Mariah's voice come from, by oh the way? My God. Don't even don't even man. She is uh, she is uh, what do they say? Like, you know, small pack, you know, dynamite, you know, small package. You know, she's this little beautiful beautiful uh uh chick and and her voice is amazing and then i'll just say this that like to me to have a four-piece rock band like plush to have a single that i had come out last year called or this year called terrible things which was lizzie which was hailstorm featuring ashley mcbride i'm i'm talking to what you're talking about which is and I'm, i'm not some sort of you know feminist like you know spokesperson but man it's come so far in the time that i moved here that story i just told you that not so great story uh that that like you know conform to this now it's like what lizzie can have you know hailstorm can have a song featuring ashley mcbride couldn't be more of a country girl i think it's fucking awesome it's it's really great and yeah we always joke about it with uh, so my publishing this, this little thing I have called the four horsemen, which is Marty Fredrickson, myself, Blair Daly, uh, and Scott Stevens, who Scott was in the band, the X's who I took out on the road in the Nixons a million years ago. We, we joke about how, you know, you got a female fronted rock band. We're your, we're your guys, we're your team, you know, cause we've written, so we had hits with, uh, Lilith, you know, uh, Juliet, who's dear to so me too. I badass. She's, she's, she's amazing. Had cuts with her husband's band, uh, Blackville Brides. But, um, but, but we went to Louder Than Life last year and it was so cool. Like the, the, the four horsemen watching in the crowd, Lilith playing our song Anarchy. And then we walk over and, and watch Hailstorm playing our, I, I had a song with a Hailstorm called I Like It Heavy. And there they are rocking that shit, you know, and, and then, um, you know, New Year's Day, you know, New Year's Day and Dorothy, you know, we had Dorothy's, you know, highest charting song, uh, uh, Rest in Peace. And so, yeah, so female fronted rock band, this is the advertisement. We're your guys. Come to <laughs> come to the Four Horsemen music if you want, you know, you want a hit rock song. And 25 um, yeah. years ago, that would not have been a career I pitch. I know, I know, I know. And it's, it's shocking to me, like, having been you know, sometimes traveling around and being able to see the world is one way to get experience. There's something to be said for standing still and watching everything change from a fixed point 
And because I was at AAF for so long, ending up being the assistant program director before it got sold, I had that vantage point of watching the world change from the same seat. And for women like me, this is what we've been waiting for. Like, we've been waiting so long for this. Well, for the record, this is my life. I just typed into my uh, my notes in my phone, standing still, watching the world go round uh, around you. So you just gave me my latest song title. I'll, yeah! That'll be a, a big, big no, but but it's it, it is very cool what you just said because, <clears throat> wow, yeah, you and I have an interesting perspective because we've seen the music business through all these phases. And yes, to what you just said of watching the world go round. And by the way, I should say the fact that. I think was Hailstorm. I think they're they're that that number one song. The what was their first big hit? It was there was some stat. That's a sad stat, but a cool stat that it was the first female fronted active rock band to hit number one, maybe ever or or you know maybe since Pat Benatar. Whatever. There's some stat that's super sad. I'll also say, Aaron Jones was the first person of color to have a number one song. Um, and and all that to say, yes, here we are, me and you, been doing this since the 90s, somehow still in it. <laughs> I count my blessings. Me too. Uh, but, but but yeah, man, that's a that's a great, that's a great concept for like you can go out there and you can explore the world. And I encourage my kids to go to Europe and go, you know, I encourage any young person to go see the world and experience other cultures and all that stuff. But yeah, you and me in some ways sitting still in the middle of it and just watching it all go around. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. And I I will now, since you just enlightened me, I'll count that as another blessing that like, man, I've gotten to see a lot of, a lot of shit. Yeah. You both. I asked Billy Corrigan this question because as much as I hate to say these words out loud, a lot of that music from the 90s is now considered classic rock. And those bands are now eligible for induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What is it about the music that came out of the 90s? Because if you had asked someone then, and I remember someone saying, oh yeah, what, is this Pearl Jam band going to be the next Led Zeppelin? Yes, now, yes. But what is it about those years that just generated so much iconic rock and roll? Man, million dollar question. And I mean, if we had the answer, we could recreate it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you could start a label. Right. Uh, but but, but to, to the answer is, gosh, I, you know, and, and I do have this conversation with fellow songwriters, which is, you know, is there some kid sitting in a, a his mom's basement right now with a Les Paul writing the next great rock song? I hope so. I hope Maybe. so too. You know, I hope so. But but whatever happened at that time, and I do feel pretty lucky. I'm glad to be talking to you about this. I feel like I'm getting, th- I'm working through some emotions. No, but you are not but the I only do... person that's ever said this show is like a therapy session. <laughs> no, but but it, it's interesting because. 
right? The 80s were this sort of little glitzier time. And I'm not just talking music. I'm talking everything. It was, it yeah. was you know, the 80s were, you know, flashy cars, you know, what? And, and then at least for me, I'll put it in my, my, my context, you know, my context, which is um, college rock band covering REM, the cult, the cure, like I said, and then writing songs and then hearing, watching Under a Blood Red Sky, U2, and seeing these, you know, th this music that was happening that was different. I think maybe all those bands, and gosh, Scott, Scott Weiland's birthday was just yesterday. All those bands that came from that time, I don't know, you tell me, you, you, you saw it uh, even probably better than me because you saw these bands coming in and out of AAF. But like what I saw out on the road was just a bunch of dudes that were a little bit less about anything other than the music, other than just the the songs and like turn the guitar up loud. Uh, this there was this great quote from Slash that uh, that he said. Um, um, guitar magazine was like quizzing him about his guitar setup. What's your what's your pedal board look like? And he goes, "What? I plug into a tuner and into a Marshall amp." That's all just to and I, I really appreciate that. And so maybe that's Guns N' Roses is not a grunge band, but maybe they are were a little bit and we just didn't know it. But all those bands seemed like they were just making music for the for the purest of reasons, the most pure reasons. I don't know. Um, I don't know the answer, Carrie. When Slash came on the show, I told him that he had one of the most iconic guitar tones ever. And he was surprised and took that as like this wholehearted compliment. And I was like, how do you not, how do you not know that? Like, <laughs> how do you not know that we hear one note of sweet child of mine? And it's like, Oh, it's slash obviously like. Carrie, don't even get me started. I, so with, so the Nixons, one of our first tours was we opened for Slash's snake pit when he was out on, um, on that tour. Remember the band? Remember yeah. that band? And so um, fast forward to, a year ago, year and a half ago, my wife, who her favorite band's Rage, so you know she's she's cool as hell, uh, way cooler than me. But she randomly said, "I wonder if Guns N' Roses is still good live." Like that was the random question that you have with your, your significant other. And so I got on YouTube and I watched them play. And and around her birthday, I Googled it. They were playing in Peru and Lima. And so Jen and I, my wife, decided, you know what? For your birthday, we're going to Peru. So last October we went. We did all the other touristy stuff like Machu Picchu and all those other things, but I just remember, I'll never forget, you know, I, I saw Guns N' Roses at Texas Stadium, you know, with the smithereens and NXS when I was a kid. Fast forward to touring with Slash and then seeing them last year at a stadium in Lima, Peru, and that guitar, I mean, again, I mean, the, the, I'm, now I'm digressing, but but you, back to your point of what made that music great, I don't know, man. I think Slash's guitar tone might be a big part of it. <laughs> you know, because all those guys, I mean, they, they must have loved that shit. I mean, that's just great guitar. It, it is funny to hear you say that he was surprised, but... Yeah, he said he, he was in a constant search for the perfect tone, and I'm like... um. I hate to discourage you from future work, but you kind of already climbed Everest slash. Exactly. Yeah. That, 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 you know, 
just that little, you know, welcome to the jungle, which, which by the way, Peruvians love that shit, man. They, that I've never seen a crowd. So, um, yeah, they love their metal down there, man. All the bands talk about it. They love it. They love it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look how many Kiss tributes, how many stories have we seen online around the final dates at Madison Square Garden of all of the bands that were inspired because of those guys? I mean, where would rock be without them? I don't know if you can see this. So just real quick, this is my, that's me. Oh my God. So that's backstage at Madison Square Garden in 1996. We just posted that on our Nixon's Instagram that like um, we we opened for them at Madison Square Garden in uh, in the 90s and and to think about them ending that journey and um, and yeah and Scott Stevens, my buddy um, in the Exes, posted yesterday too. I thought it was really kind of a a, a neat tribute um, to to how they influenced people. And I will say this, like. Not, um, I know I remember Gene Simmons sort of not dissing, but kind of saying something about shoegaze and like they're, they're, they're way more about the show. The Nixons were too. So to say we were influenced by Kiss is not exactly right, but kind of like we would light the stage on fire. We would smash guitars because why? Because we were playing at these, you know, you know, bars and um, no one was paying attention. So I, I, I think there's something pretty beautiful about um, what you just said, that like that band definitely influenced people to put on a show. If you've got the chat open, I just posted a picture that I found from my childhood that I posted the, because of the Kiss Farewells. How did they not know I was going to end up the way oh, that I did? Man. That is awesome, man. That is awesome. I love that. Look I think at that's you. like the third grade or something with rosary beads tied around my head, black that's lipstick, and the Muppets and Kiss hanging on my wall. Like, perfect. How did that you is not perfect, know? Man. That is perfect. I ask every songwriter this question that comes on the show because it's not a favorite song question, and you're going to be the perfect person to answer it. But because I have such respect for the process of songwriting, is there a song that if you were to look up the definition of songwriting in the dictionary is a perfect example of songwriting for you? A song that you think is so perfectly crafted that you wish you wrote it? Oh, man. I mean, for music fans, it's nearly impossible because we love you, so much music. How did you do this to me? <laughs> um, I, I do I have ask an everybody this question and the no, answers no, 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 are no, no, always no, interesting. I do have an I do have an answer, and I'll also say this: I teach a class at Oklahoma State University. I went to Oklahoma University, so it's our bitter rival. I teach a class called songwriting uh, on Zoom. I don't I didn't move back to Stillwater, Oklahoma, uh, but I teach this class, and I I ask these kind of questions: What's the perfect song? What's the per? <clears throat> so you ask me this question, and I'm going to give you an answer, and I'm I'm sorry to I, I'm going to cheat. A little bit because <laughs> because sweet child of mine i'm not saying it because we just talked about slash but that riff the bass when it comes in the lyrics which are so universal she's got a smile seems to me you know all it's it's about as perfect as you can get but i'm gonna also digress a little bit into country because i do work in this world and i I'm going to name check one song. He stopped loving her today. 
and and go listen to it if you haven't heard it. It's amazing. It's a George Jones songs and song, and it's about how he said he'd never stop loving her, and he he died, and that's when he stopped loving her. He stopped loving her today on the day he died. I'm gonna name check that one, but I'm gonna give you a, a slightly longer, but not too long. There's a song called In Color by Jamie Johnson. And that's the song that when I heard it, um, it's it's the verses are, Grandpa, what's that picture here? It's all black and white. It ain't real clear. Is that you? My grandpa said, yeah, I was 11. Um, and if it looks like we were scared to death, just a couple kids trying to save each other, you should have seen it in color. To me, that idea of like a kid looking at a black and white picture so now I'm trying to, I think I'm maybe connecting our whole conversation about the olden days of touring in a van in a trailer, but a black and white picture. Some people listening to this won't even know that that is a thing. But, but to say you should have seen it in real life, you should have seen it in color. I don't know. That's about as perfect of a song. Um, and I was just texting with the, one of the co-writers, Lee Miller, who wrote it with Jamie Johnson. That's an obscure reference, so sorry to the, some of the listeners that are no, like, what is I, this? Exactly? Look, I'm not a country music fan. It's not, my husband loves it. It's like, it's it's a fight he and I have daily because I say he has terrible taste in music. He says I have terrible taste in music, but even I know that song. Yeah, so so to, I guess the I guess the point of my answer is this, is that, um, and this will this will boil it down to who I am as a songwriter is mostly about lyrics. Again, the, the riff of Sweet Child of Mine is, is, is you know, there's, there's even stories, there's even mythology about that riff and people can go Google it. It was an exercise, but I'll, I'll stop. But to me, man, lyrics, you know, uh, I've had people come up to me in my life and say, um, <clears throat> the Nixon song, Sister, we played it at my sister's memorial. That song kept me connected to my sister when she moved overseas. Um, the lyrics, um, I think maybe we've boiled me down to the uh, here in the last minutes of this interview that like the lyrics are just so important to me. And, 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 it, it, and it's it's that lyric. You should have seen it in color. And, you know, shit, me and you saw it. You know, we saw it all. So um, so that's a great song. Go listen to it. <laughs> um, before I let you go, you already let it slip a little bit that the Seether guys are working on new music. So I'm going to prod you a little bit. Are there some new artists that are working on music now that maybe we're going to be hearing from that we could have heard about them from you first? Or are there artists that you know are getting ready to work on new music that we know that are working with you? Give me the well, dirt, I'll, Zach. Well, so so to answer your question, um, you know, all the bands that I've mentioned on this interview, I'm getting ready to write with again. We're, we're going to do some more stuff with, with shine down. And, and, uh, um, I will, I'll, I'll answer it like this and man, I hate to be this guy, but I'm very excited that the Nixons, <laughs> I'm just going to plug myself now. No, no that um, was going to be my last question was for you to be able to plug what's going on with the Nixons. Cause I know you guys well, got well, stuff going on. Well, I, there's there's nothing that I can specifically say other than um, I've written songs with Plush um, that may be coming. Um, I'm getting ready to write with more with Shine Down and with with all all the bands I just mentioned. Um, I'm not working with Seether. The Sean kind of he's kind of a machine. So, um, but they are doing some stuff. <clears throat> um, but I will say that the kind of the thing one of the things I'm most excited about is is um, is 
the Nixons. We have some, we just released a single last Friday called December. It was a song from our second album. We rewrote it, redid it. Um, and it, it came out with pavement music, which is a great company in Chicago. I know, you know, them, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> that's plush's home. And, and I, that's how I met the people at pavement. And now we're actually in a little bit of a partnership with the Nixons. Um, and we are writing new music ourselves, um, that we'll be releasing next year. So yeah, I mean, a bunch of, a, a bunch of stuff coming. The reason I can't give you a specific answer is I'm writing with like a hundred people <laughs> always. So, so it's if, all coming, Carrie. If the new music from the Nixons is coming, does that mean a tour? Does that mean we might actually get to hang out in person again? That would be amazing, man. I, we, um, I think you and I texted back and forth or, or something. We played Boston with Everclear. The Nixons did last summer. We did Everclear and Fastball and the Nixons, and it was a blast. First time we've really gone back out, um, talked to other old friends of mine about doing dates and um, nothing booked, but you, you just, you know, click over on over there to Instagram and follow the Nixons official and, you know, you never know. Uh, before I let you go, of course, the holidays, what's your favorite holiday tradition? What do you look forward to the most? Is it a food? Is it the Man, music? What is it? I don't know what this says about me, but for whatever reason, you just said that green bean casserole. <laughs> that's such a bad answer. That's such an awful answer. Like It's not, no, though, what? if it's the only time of year you eat it. No, man. So, so, so I'll, I'll just tell you, we went to some friend's house, uh, for, for the holidays a few years ago. And they said, is there anything that you, we need to have? And we said, green bean casserole and they made it, but it wasn't the same. I grew up in a small town in Oklahoma and it was just canned green beans and those crunchy, you know, uh, the onions. You know, onion rings. yeah. So gosh, that's, uh, you, you, you so wish I would have said it's, it's holding my dearest, you know, family members close in the cold, cold weather in front of a fireplace. No, it's no, the green it's always casserole. the food, man. Christmas to me is lasagna. I make it once a year. I make it on Christmas. There you go. That's what it tastes like. There you go. There you go. It was so good to see you. I'm you so too. glad that you agreed to do this. And uh, I'm so grateful for your time. And I couldn't be happier that a band that I loved so much that was part of that, you know, early years at AAF for me, even before they gave me my own microphone, right? When I was just handing out the bumper stickers at Nixon shows to see you turn your career into something where you're working with every band I'm playing on the radio, with every band that I have on my show. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, listen, man, I count, I really do, I really do, um, feel blessed and, and don't, I do not take it for granted. I, I, I do want that to be said. And, um, and I have to say, I have these conversations, not very often, but got to reconnect with Matt Penfield at a festival in Oklahoma and to sit with him. And we did an interview much like this. And, uh, for me to remind him that he uttered the words, this next band on 120 minutes, uh, the Nixons, I just saw, you know, here in New York City, and then to be talking to you and to um, to think about playing at Mamakins in Boston and playing in in you know we opened for Kiss uh, at, at whatever the arena was called at the time. Yeah, the Garden. Yeah. Yeah. To 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 think about that and to be now here, I am at age fifty something. Uh, 
Oh, and listen, man, and I will just say right back at you. Good for you. Uh, I mean, I there's a I know a lot of people that were working alongside me and you that aren't in music anymore. They're, they've got other jobs and God bless them and good for them. I feel like the luckiest dude in the world that are you kidding? I get to just figure out what rhymes with love again today. That's my job. <laughs> That's my job. Someone pays me and someone's paying you to, to, to spread the word of, of, of rock and roll and music and songwriting. So good. I'm just telling you good for you and oh, congrats you. to I you as well. That. I appreciate really that. Cool. It, I took stock in it and tried to figure out what other marketable skills I have besides that. And there aren't any. So I'm glad that I found a way to make a living doing it. No, listen, man, when the Nixons broke up and I was sort of standing there looking around, I can't do anything else other than music, right? You know, so, uh, yeah, no, it's it's pretty great. Pretty great. We're, we're, we're the lucky ones, right? Yeah, if, if the path doesn't exist, grab a machete. That's what I tell everybody. Like, figure it out. Grab a machete and make the path. Shit. That's my second song title I'm You're welcome. Out. Just a little footnote in the credits. I just want a little, just a little, a little itty bitty little note there. Yeah, I, I love that. Standing still, watching the world go around. That's probably going to be the first song I pitch today in my writing session at yes. 1 p.m. Thank you so you much. You rock, Carrie. Thank right, you. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. There he is, the one and only Zach Malloy from the Nixons. You can find the 2023 version of December, the latest release from the Nixons on the corresponding playlist for this episode. I make a playlist for every full-length episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast that's filled with my guest music and all the artists and songs that we referenced in the interview. You'll find it linked in the show notes alongside all of Zach's links, all the Nixon's links, and all of my links as well. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday. Plus, every weekday, I run down all of your rock news and music headlines in around five minutes with the sit rep. And you never know when we're going to release a bonus episode. You can find me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my official Facebook page, from my video show, Cocktails in the War Room. And of course, you can always track me down on the radio. Get the details on all of that and more at mistresscarry.com. And don't forget to do a little post-holiday shopping just in case Santa didn't bring you what you wanted under the tree. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Points.